Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks so much for being with me here today on Wednesday, July the 8th. Coming up on today's show, I'm going to be joined by the chair of the Kamloops Center for the Arts Society to talk about where things are in relation to the Kamloops Center for the Arts project. Of course, a referendum was set for April 4th, but the pandemic threw a wrench in that plan. What is the latest now? Well, I'll be speaking with Norm Daly in just a little bit to go over where things stand. And to end off today's show, well, it's time for a President Kanye West edition of That's Whack Wednesday. But to begin today's show, well, Safe Care BC, it's an organization that looks to empower those working in the continuing care sector to create safer, healthier workplaces. Well, it's out with its annual member survey, which has so shown that the vast majority of respondents are feeling a little bit anxious about COVID-19, but it has not really changed their plans necessarily to continue working in that se- sector over the next year. To talk more about this survey and its results, I'm joined on the line by the CEO of SafeCare BC, Jen Lyle. Jen, how are you doing here on this Wednesday? I'm well, thanks. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. So now Safe Care BC does this survey every year, but clearly this year has a bit of a different feel to it. What is the intent of really collecting this data, first of all, and, and sort of what were you looking to find out this year and how is it a little bit different maybe than in the past? Yeah, so one of our big reasons for doing this is we want to make sure that as the Workplace Safety Association for the Continuing Care Sector, whatever we're doing um, to support safety in the sector is actually aligned and in touch with the needs of the sector. So a big part of that is getting this sort of feedback, you know, identifying where people's concerns are, what their priorities are, and then that way we can take that information and really bring forward programs that are, are responsive to that. The big difference, obviously, with this year is the fact that we're doing the survey in the middle of a pandemic. And we know from some of our other outreach initiatives that, you know, things around anxiety, around burnout, um, people you know, wondering whether they're even going to continue working in the sector. These are all concerns and there's direct linkages between those concerns back to workplace safety. So we wanted to make sure that we were including those questions in the survey when we sent it out this year. Now, with the fact that we are going through a pandemic, obviously, I think people are a little bit more hyper aware of concerns and issues in these types of sectors. Right? I've been talking about places like long term care. Did you see a big response uh, uh, increase in number of responses as a result of maybe people wanting to share their opinion a little bit more as we go through COVID-19? Yeah, so we definitely saw a bigger response rate this year as compared to the year before. And what was really interesting, too, is we actually saw a big jump in the number of frontline workers responding to the survey. And that's really important because these are the folks that are, you know, arguably the most impacted by a lot of the stuff that's happening in long-term care and home care. Perfect. So with that in mind, I mean, what, what, uh, what are some of the things you were able to pull from this data? How are those in these sectors feeling about, uh, you know, their just jobs as a whole? Are they happy with where they're working and, and how has COVID-19 changed that or has it? Yeah, and that was one of the things that was really interesting about the survey. So we did see that just over three quarters indicated feeling either very or somewhat anxious about COVID-19. And not surprisingly, the, those rates were higher for people who um, identified as working in long-term care. What was really interesting, though, is when we asked the question around, have your plans changed in terms of whether you're going to be working in the sector within the next 12 months or not? 
And so the vast majority of folks said, no, my my plans haven't changed, about 64%. The thing that was surprising is when we delved into the folks who said, yes, my plans have changed, the majority of them had said, I'm actually more committed to staying in the sector now than I was before the pandemic. And the primary reason they gave was that they wanted to be there for their residents and their clients. And so I think that was an interesting finding and sort of speaks to the just the dedication that people have when they work in this sector to, to their work and to the people they serve. So that was an interesting finding that came out. The other thing that was interesting was that um, for those who said my plans have changed and I'm less likely to be working in the sector within the year, um, the primary reason people cited was burnout. And that was actually reflected when we asked a separate question around what, what are your top safety concerns? When we asked that to frontline workers, vast majority said mental health. Did, did the people who, you know, were responding to these surveys and had some of these different answers, did it matter where they were working? Because I know you broke some of the data down into uh, health regions, right? And, and, and I understand the majority of respondents to this particular survey did work in the Fraser Health region, which, of course, has been the hardest hit region in B.C. when it comes to the pandemic. Did the location of people change their attitudes at all? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. And I think what we saw is that there was a fair bit of consistency um, in terms of the results. Um, and I think that kind of that matches with the outreach that we're, the, the findings that we've had with some of our outreach as well. Like, it doesn't matter whether you work in interior health or if you work in Fraser Health. Um, COVID-19 has become such an, a, a huge part of your work and your concern and, you know, the, the vigilance that's required of you that even if you're in a region where you haven't had an outbreak, you're already wearing people. PPE all day. You're already thinking about the importance of washing your hands. You're already thinking about the what ifs if COVID comes into the care home. So it's interesting to kind of see that. Where we saw a bit of variation was actually when we broke it down between um, role categories. So frontline workers, supervisors, managers, and and, uh, senior leaders. Uh, So so just in terms of the you know you mentioned some of the bigger concerns when it comes to things like burnout that was one of the major things that people had concerns about what do you what do you do with that i mean how does safe care bc take some of the concerns that they're seeing what are the more um you know heavy heavy issues that people are experiencing right now and learn from that what can you do with the data now that it's been collected to try and improve upon these uh, results and, and maybe see uh, fewer responses that are related to things like burnout or mental health concerns next year what can you do over the course of that time yeah, and I mean, that's the whole point of doing the survey, right, is to identify <clears throat> what we need to respond to. And so one of the things that we actually already started prior to this survey, and it helps reinforce that we're on the right track, was actually the initiative we partnered with the Canadian Mental Health Association on, and that's Care for Caregivers and its its newly launched program, Care to Speak, which is really designed around that concept of providing both organizations and individuals the tools they need to be, you know, psychologically well and healthy. And so the Care to Speak initiative in particular just got started and I think that's something that we're certainly going to look at a lot more closely in terms around you know the peer-to-peer support model for people who need somebody to talk to so that they have a chance to let off a bit of steam they have a chance to talk about what's bothering them so that they don't get to that point of burnout and similarly it really provides us with a clear direction in terms of developing more resources and support for organizations so that they can address those factors that lead to mental health uh, you know burnout and things like that so that we're making sure that we're getting and intervening before people get to that point of saying i can't do this job anymore Mm -hmm, yeah and now jen i guess uh, with that in mind um you know what 
what's the plan here uh, moving forward for you guys? I mean, can you can you start any new initiatives as a result, or is this more maybe about promoting some of the, the programs that are already out there to make sure that people are getting that care that they need if they are struggling with their positions in long-term care or if they're on the front lines? Um, you know, what what is this more about? Do you need to come up with new programs, or is it about uh, promoting things that are already in existence? Is it a bit of a mix of both? It's both. So for one thing, and going a bit into the survey a bit more, we got some good feedback in terms of how we can change how we deliver our programs too. And so for us, really what it means is we're looking at the programs we currently offer. Um, we're looking at what we need to double down on and what we need to perhaps look at changing in terms of how we deliver it. So there'll be a few new initiatives that come out of this, but I think the whole point with us right now is that we've got this great feedback and it's now our turn to use it and make sure that we're responding to the needs of the sector. Was there anything as you went through the data that you collected that surprised you? Was there anything that you, that stood out maybe that you weren't expecting? Yeah, well, definitely that piece around people's intention to stay. I mean, that was a surprising uh, data point for us, for sure. Um, the other thing that was a bit interesting, too, was just the, the fact that mental health was such a prominent concern for frontline workers. Um, when we looked at it from in terms of roles, when we talk about senior leaders, for example, their primary concern was really establishing a culture of safety, and that makes sense. But when you talk about, when you were looking at it in terms of the frontline workers, their primary concern front, front and center was really around mental health. And so for us, that was, a, that was an interesting finding. And I think in some ways um, it aligns with what we're seeing coming out in terms of the research around, you know, what nurses are experiencing and the, the feedback we're getting from people who are working in the sector right now. So that was an interesting data point that came out of this initiative as well. Right on. Well, I think there are a number of interesting points to take out of this survey and, and uh, definitely worth, I think, anyone who is listening to maybe just take a look at it a little bit more in depth to moving forward because uh, we obviously didn't get to cover all of it here today. But uh, anything else that you want to add, Jen, before I f let you go? Anything that you wanted to highlight that we haven't touched on yet? Yeah, I think the other thing that was really just quite interesting was just the fact that the people um, who responded to the survey were by and large really happy with what we've been doing so far in our pandemic response. And that's something that you never know until you ask the question. But the thing that I thought was quite interesting, and I know that we've had a chance to talk about this with NL Radio before, was just the larger impact of Operation Protect. Um, the fact that people saw it not just as a means to have access to PPE supplies, but also just a general acknowledgement that this is an issue for the sector. And people felt it was it was almost it's a supportive gesture that extends just beyond just getting PPE, but acknowledging, yeah, you guys need some help with this, and we're listening to you. Yeah, well, hopefully, I know we. I talked to uh, Ken Donahue about that a few weeks ago myself, and we talked about just the response that uh, came out of that program, and it was pretty overwhelming almost to see how much stuff did come in and how much people really wanted to help out. But it's, of course, important to remember that uh, just because we're in COVID-19 now doesn't mean we won't need to have these kind of programs in place in the future, right? I know there's a lot of people talking about how we were short on PPE to start the pandemic, and they've sort of uh, made up some of that uh, so far, but it's pretty easy to forget that we have that need once we start coming out of things. So I think it's important to keep that top of mind, and, and programs like the ones you guys offer there at Safe Care BC is really important as well. So thank you so much for your time, Jen. Really do appreciate it. And uh, yeah, some really interesting data here. So thank you for taking the time to go over it here with me.
Thanks for having me. Awesome. There is the CEO of SafeCare BC, Jen Lyle. And again, I do encourage people to go check out that survey as well. If you have a few minutes to do so, uh, there's definitely some interesting data to check out just about how workers are feeling about their jobs here as we go through COVID-19. All right, well, I have to take a quick break here, but when I come back, I'm going to be talking with the chair of the Kamloops Centre for the Art Society. Of course, that project had a lot of momentum here to kick off the early part of 2020. COVID-19 then hit, and well, everything kind of had to be put on hold. What's the latest there? Well, we'll fill you in in just a little bit, and the Jeff Andrea Show will be back after this. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk at RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show. Thanks for being with me here on Wednesday, July 8th. When the pandemic hit in March, we were just weeks away from a referendum for a Kamloops Center for the Arts. Of course, the vote was initially postponed and then, well, basically just put permanently on hold thanks to COVID-19. Well, what's the latest with the project? Is it now a complete afterthought? Well, I'm joined now by the chair of the Kamloops Center for the Arts Society, Norman Daly. Norm, how you doing here today? I'm doing well, thank you. So what, what's happening here right now? I mean, you guys are trying to sort of keep this project top of mind despite the fact that it's really in a big holding pattern at this stage of the game. Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, what we've talked about is that we've pressed pause on the project. Um, obviously, uh, there's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot of people in Kamloops, um, you know, financially and personally are, are being affected by this uh, crisis. And uh, I think that it's not top of mind necessarily for people today. Uh, but uh, we want to, uh, you know, keep, keep moving forward with the society and revisit it at an appropriate time. So what, what is happening with the society right now? I know you guys were you know, doing some, some good work in terms of signing up new members and getting some donations through that uh, society itself. Um, what's, what's happening there? Has things really slowed down uh, lately? And are, and are you still kind of trying to, to build momentum through that society? Um, really, we're, like we, we are meeting uh, monthly uh, still. Um, you know, we're talking about uh, what opportunities we, we have and, and you know, when would there be an opportunity to move forward. Um, I think that's quite a ways away yet. Um, and you know, we're trying to engage with the membership because we did uh, get you know, over 5,000 people signed up as members and we're trying to engage with them and you know, kind of asking them what do they see the purpose of the society and if there's some things that they'd like us to, uh, to work on. Uh, we have a bit of a survey going out with our newsletter that uh, came out yesterday. And, you know, just, uh, you know, waiting and, and seeing if there will be an opportunity to, to move this project forward again. Uh, maybe just for those listening, uh, how do they go about taking that survey? Is it only for members? Can anyone take it? Um, it's, it's really in the membership uh, newsletter that we sent out the other day. So um, I don't know that we're actually taking members now. So it would be really just the membership base that we had uh, historically. Okay, perfect. And, uh, you know, what, what's the latest, I guess, just in terms of all the work that has been done, right? I know there was, you know, the drawings that have been put out and we saw the, the business case that was uh, being approved by council. Is all of that sort of dead in the water right now? Well, you know, it, it is, and it's uh, it's quite disappointing on, on that side uh, that uh, there was a lot of work and effort that has gone into this, but uh, obviously that has to be tempered with, uh, you know, what's going on in the world. So, um, you know, I think in the in the short term, uh, there's a potential to resurrect a lot of the work that was done before it uh, maybe, you know, doesn't have the meaning that it did, uh, um, you know, six months ago. Uh, but you really it's the time factor of uh, when this can be resurrected that will determine that. I mean, this is a project that had, 
the full support of council, and it looked like it had a lot of momentum um, heading into that March referendum, or April, I believe it was April, when it was supposed yeah. to take place. Um, you know, is there a fear that um, this project just won't have the backing that it did at that time? I mean, obviously, the, the world has changed with COVID-19. Uh, the financial situation with the city is going to look a lot different than it did six months ago. Um, is there a fear that maybe this project just won't have the same support that it did to start 2020? Well, you know, I, I think that I'm actually more optimistic that it, it, it will maintain the support. Um, you know, I think we had a lot of momentum. Uh, we had a lot of buy-in by the community. People were understanding what the project was. People were knowledgeable. I, I feel a lot more knowledgeable this time about what we're, you know, planning to do and trying to do. I mean, that said, uh, there are so many an unanswerable questions at this point in time. You know, when can we gather again? Um, so, you know, does... Like, what, what will the new normal be? So, you know, until we get a bit more information on those uh, those questions that we can't answer today, um, I think it's it's going to be hard to just decide exactly if, if and when we can move forward. Now, what, have you talked to, to council at all about this project, or is that something that's kind of those conversations maybe have just been shelved for a little bit? Well, I mean, we've had the, disc the discussion. I mean, they uh, came back to us because obviously the, the referendum was... Uh, uh, postponed originally and uh, you know we just suggested to council to request elections BC to cancel it uh, we didn't feel that it was an appropriate time you know you know even if we're coming out of the the, uh, the COVID crisis in the next few months that it's probably not the appropriate time to uh, to bring this to the community again so you know we, we did have that conversation um, that uh, we just felt it wasn't the right time to be working on it. Have, have you had that chat? I mean, just in response to that, did you guys look at any potential dates as to when something could move forward? I mean, it's really hard to say, obviously, as we go through this pandemic in this COVID-19 world, but did you even maybe just look at some preliminary targets? Like if we get a vaccine to kick off uh, the year in January, maybe this is something that could be looked at for next summer. Have you had any of those kind of preliminary talks? Uh, no, we think that that's just too premature. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, everybody everybody has a, a you know an idea of like I'd like to watch the Blazers this this fall, but will I be able to? So, I mean, until we get some certainty about uh, you know group gatherings and uh, and those things, I just don't think we can even um, determine any timelines. Okay. Yeah, that's, it's pretty disappointing, I guess. Just just how are you feeling as someone who's been a big part of this project? And we're probably really excited to see that referendum go ahead. And, you know, we didn't know for sure you would get the community support. But from everyone I had talked to, it sounded like that was probably going to be the case. I mean, just what is your disappointment level given all the work you put in and, and the fact that it had to end so abruptly? Well, obviously there's there's disappointment, but you know, with with people having their business closed and uh, and, and people in the community not being able to work and uh, you know the struggles that you know people are having, you know, with health issues and mental health issues around this whole thing, it's got to be tempered by that, you know. So I can I can be disappointed, but I think that'd be a selfish disappointment. I mean, we got to get our community strong. We got to help uh, those businesses that have been affected. We have to help the arts community and 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 just all the members of our community. Uh, to get back to a good space. And that's way more important than any disappointment I might have. And, and just to follow that up, too, I mean, what what is the need? I mean, we've talked about this before. Every time I think we, you and I have chatted about this project, just how much something like this is really needed in our community. We see a lot of the, the arts uh, sector in our community, you know, not necessarily having the proper facilities that they would like or, or that they could really need to, to promote themselves and put on proper productions. I mean, how needed is an arts, arts center here for the city of Kamloops, do you think? 
I mean, it's a tremendous need. Um, I think our business case clearly showed it. Um, all of the various studies that have come out by uh, the, the city has done over the last number of years. Um, you know, Sagebrush Centre, um, Sagebrush Theatre, sorry, uh, it is a facility that is booked virtually every prime date of the year. Um, there's way over capacity and, and way over demands and need uh, for facilities. Um, that's just one example. There's a lot of other uh, you know, areas in the community where facilities aren't being able to be used because of uh, you know, insurance issues and licensing issues, um, age of facilities and things like that. So there is way more demand um, for capacity for the arts than there is uh, supply of uh, venues. And and just there, I mean, it sounded mostly like you were referring to what's happening here locally and local organizations and their ability to use these kinds of things. But how do you think this would have meant um, in terms of being able to bring stuff to the community, right? Some bigger acts that maybe would pass Kamloops over and go to somewhere like Kelowna where they have those types of facilities. Do you think this really would have made a big difference in terms of Kamloops' competitive edge to be able to bring in some of those bigger acts and bring in more people that normally wouldn't uh, look at Kamloops as an option? Oh, definitely. I know that there are a lot of people in, in the community who are traveling to, to other centers, and, uh, and you know, that was, again, a big part of the, the business case is looking to the promoters here in Kamloops and, and talking to them about what acts um, might have, you know, passed or might be, be coming in the future. And uh, obviously, if you have a world-class facility and you have the ability to attract people, um, you know, it's going to, again, uh, generate those revenues. And so, yeah, I think that that's a big, a big loss as well by not having a, a proper venue for, for many of these uh, bigger acts. Yeah, well, I know I was disappointed to see the, the project kind of come to a close the way it did, um, and, and hopefully it's not dead for sure, but uh, it's definitely something we'll have to look to later on in the future. Norm, I got you out of here on this. Just outside of uh, getting Kamloops Centre for the Arts Society members to get on and, and take that survey, is there anything else that you think the people, either whether in the society or just the general public, should be aware of when it comes to this project and, and how they can either support it or, or just keep it, uh, you know, keep it in their minds here moving forward. Well, I think that, uh, you know, keep it looking to our website, and uh, obviously the members are going to get uh, newsletters, and, and maybe we'll uh, to find a way to distribute those a, a little wider, but they will be available on the website as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, just keep it top of mind, and, you know, really we're going to be looking for the community to tell us it's time to move it forward. So if you think it's time, let us know. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for the time here, Norm. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Jeff. That was the chair of the Kamloops Center for the Arts Society, Norman Daly. And uh, yeah, so April 4th, we were set to hold that vote here in the city of Kamloops on whether or not people supported a Kamloops Center for the Arts. We were just weeks away from that taking place before, nope, COVID-19 came and decided to throw a wrench in all of those plans. So unfortunately, didn't get to have it here this year. Uh, referendum definitely will not be happening in 2020. I can't see any way that that would happen. Of course, it has been permanently postponed for the time being. And uh, we'll see if and when a vaccine is created for this. Maybe then at that point, there'll be a little bit more discussion about restarting this project and restarting the process that it took to get to where it was. Because we're going to have to go through with some of that same work once again, things like that business case that Norm was talking about that just don't necessarily um, have the same relevance as we look ahead to when a new referendum may take place. So some work is definitely ahead on this project. It is still something I think a lot of people want, but of course, when it comes to how we deal with things in a pandemic, I mean, it's all a little bit different. I mean, you just got to look at the... Um, 
deficit here that was announced today by the government, more than $300 billion. So, I mean, this is definitely going to have an impact on how people feel about these types of construction projects. Are they viable? Are they something that, that taxpayers want to deal with at this point in time? Uh, it's not a question that I obviously can answer for you at this point. And that's why there'll be another referendum at some point, I am certain. All right, well, i got to take a quick break here, but when I come back, well, are we going to have a new president in 2020? Could it be Kanye West? We'll talk a little bit about that after this. So stick around and more Jeff Andrea show coming up. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks for being with me here on July the 8th. It is Wednesday, the middle of the week. Hump day, if you will. It all goes downhill from here, both in the week and on this show. It is time for That's Whack Wednesday. It's That's Whack Wednesday. Now, today I want to talk about the weird and wacky when it comes to presidential candidates on the weekend. Rapper Kanye West announced on Twitter that he was going to be putting his name forward to be what some would consider the most powerful man in the world. Oh, that is whack. Yeah, his tweet said, We must now realize the promise of America by trusting God, unifying our vision, and building our future. I am running for president of the United States, hashtag 2020 vision. And he has now said that he will be running under the party banner of, get this, no, I'm not making this up, the birthday party. Now, Kanye isn't the first celebrity to say he wants to be president. And, well, I don't have to look any further than the guy that's currently in office. God bless the United States. And other examples, I mean, when the pandemic first hit, there was that documentary series that was seemingly watched by just about everybody on Netflix, The Tiger King. And in 2016, well, the star of that show, Joe Exotic, actually ran for president as well. I am not cutting my hair. I'm not changing the way I dress. I refuse to wear a suit. I am gay. I've had two boyfriends most of my life. And don't forget, I am now stepping my foot in the ring to run for president. So this move is far from unprecedented, but let's be real. The whole idea of these characters ever getting into office is still, quite frankly... Now, Kanye should clearly not be taken seriously. I mean, I don't know when the last time anyone took anything Kanye did seriously, but it's a pretty easy statement to make. However, after 2016, it's hard to just throw his name completely out the window and disregard the fact that he has put his name forward at all. At least when it comes to Kanye, though, he is a little bit late to the party. Yeah, the 2020 presidential election is obviously still several months away, but in American politics, that's not a very long time. And in fact, those who want to run must file certain forms by specific dates, and West has already missed the deadline in some places. According to several reports, it's already too late for West to register as an independent candidate for the president in Texas, Indiana, North Carolina, and New Mexico. Now, of course, those are only four out of 50 states, but two of those are among the most important in an election, and there are a number of other locations where the opportunity to apply must also be taken soon, as that deadline to apply will soon pass. But you can't tell them that it's already too late. Trust me, 
I tried to let Kanye know, and this is what he had to say. Uh-uh, you can't tell me nothing. And he will get votes. I mean, if his name appears on ballots or not, he will still get votes. People write in presidential candidates all the time, right? They get write-in votes. We saw it with Bernie Sanders in 2016. We saw it with a number of other candidates, Ron Paul, and of course, uh, you know, Jill Stein really split the vote in 2016, allowing Donald Trump to become the elected president. So there's definitely people out there who may not want to vote for those major two parties and may look to the birthday party as a potential solution to uh, the problems that ail them, perhaps. But I don't think it's going to be taken seriously. I don't think many people care about what Kanye West is really up to anymore for, you know, quite frankly, that's a pretty blanket statement. And... All of it, really, at the end of the day, can be summed up in one simple word. Yeah, that's right, Kanye. It is pretty whack. This has been That's Whack Wednesday. That's Whack Wednesday with Jeff Andreas. All right, now before I wrap things up here, I did have the pleasure of breaking the news to today's 50-50 winner of the Y Dream Home Lottery. I don't know 100% if I was supposed to be the guy to reveal that news, but somehow I was, and, well, I quite enjoyed making that announcement. Romans Maniel won $198,842.50 here today. Here's my chat with him. Hey, this is uh, Jeff Andreas calling from Radio NL. Uh, I understand you are a big winner here today. Oh, really? Have you not heard yet? No. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, I'm here to tell you then. I don't know if I'm supposed to be the one to tell you, but I'm going to. Uh, you were a winner today for the 50-50 draw at the Y Dream Home Lottery. Oh, wow. Yeah, you are uh, the lucky winner of $198,000 today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Wow. I didn't yeah. even know that. Yeah. Well, now you know it. I'm, I'm uh, been told I could give you a call by Bryce Herman. He's the guy who helps uh, run the lotteries. So, uh, yeah, here you go. I'm uh, delivering the news here for you this morning. Oh, thank you. Oh, I had even forgotten about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, you'll be pretty happy then here today. Um, yeah, I guess just... Um, I mean, you're probably all sinking in here. It's going to take a little while, but how are you feeling? Oh, it's, it's, like, it's like a joke. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> Have you thought at all about what you were going to buy if you won, or did you just completely forget that this was going to happen? I had really totally forgotten because I knew I wasn't going to win anything. <laughs> when did you buy your tickets? I think it's uh, when they started. That was in April. Yeah, so you bought them like right at the beginning. So you probably just bought them and yeah. took them away. Eh? Yeah, and I saw like the eighth of July was like a century away. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's here, and uh, yeah, I've been told Romans Manuel, you are the winner today of one hundred and ninety-eight thousand dollars. Wow! Thank you. Well, uh, best of luck, and I guess uh, you know uh, before I do let you go, if, you, if there was one thing you would buy yourself to celebrate here today, what would it be? I think I'll just clear my my payment for my car that I got recently. There you go. That'll be nice. No yeah. more car payments. Yeah, no more financing. <laughs> right on. All right, yeah. well, uh, yeah, again, congratulations, and uh, let it all sink in, and we'll talk again, okay? All right. All right, bye-bye.
Yeah, thank you. All right, that was Roman Manziel or Romans Manuel. He won one hundred and ninety-eight thousand eight hundred and forty-two dollars today, thanks to the Y Home Dream Y Dream Home Lottery and the grand prize winner of the actual home itself. Nicole Larson was the lucky winner of that, just worth under seven hundred thousand dollars. A pretty exciting day for some members of the Kamloops community. Well, on that happy note, it's about time for me to wrap things up. So I want to thank all my guests for joining me, and a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday, and I'll be back here tomorrow at noon.